Hey, good afternoon. A drop port here on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Nolan. How are you? I am doing quite well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we it's been, uh, for obvious and, and very excellent reasons, a, a ton of focus on the hurricane uh, and, and the aftermath down in, in Texas, but uh, President Trump did announce, he, he gave a big speech about tax reform this week, and I think a lot of people are wondering, well, what does that mean for policy? The federal tax code is sprawling, it is Byzantine, it is complicated, and any reform to it is is of necessity also going to be a complicated situation. So what does it mean? What does it mean for the average person? I'm going to talk with Nan Swift. She is a representative of the National Taxpayers Union about that situation. What could the sort of tax reform that President Trump is proposing, what it could it mean for you? What could it mean for your business? We'll talk with her about that. Uh, but for the time being, you know, I was I was writing my my Sunday print column earlier today, and I I, I hit on this notion because I, I I'm thinking about some of the recent events that that have been in the headlines, uh, both here regionally in in North Dakota, Minnesota area, and also you know nationally with with the hurricane and everything. And I'm I think there's two versions of reality. I, I somebody I, I saw this tweet somebody put out a while ago, uh, and it got like a ton of retweets, and and everybody was was sending it around. But but basically, it was the gist of the tweet was that 15 years ago, the internet was a place you went to escape from the real world, right? Like you you came home from your job and whatever, and you spent some time on the internet. Uh, you know, chatting about video games or chatting about whatever or building websites. I mean, that's that's what you did on the Internet is you escaped from real life. And he said now today in 2017, real life is where you go to get away from the Internet. Right. Because it's become this all consuming thing. And I, I think you could expand that a little bit. I, I think you could expand that and talk about a situation beyond the Internet. And, and talk about the, the the media as a whole, not just the internet, but maybe like cable news, maybe you know, like the opinion page of your local newspaper. Like, there's, I think, what happens on the internet and and how the world is portrayed on the internet and on our television screens, et cetera, et cetera, is often a very different one from the one that actually surrounds us, the one that we actually live in every day. And I I wonder if a lot of the angst that we're feeling in this country right now, a lot of the division, a lot of the turmoil is a product of the Internet and the media becoming so all-consuming, you know, that, that we're, we're constantly being fed this diet of the world as seen through the prism of the Internet and, and cable news, et cetera, et cetera, that we've replaced reality with that. That's my thesis for this little rant that I'm about to go on. Love to hear what you think of it. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. My, my point is, is that, I mean, if, if, if social media is basically a never-ending stream of cast aspersions, right? I, I mean, it's just this constant stream of cynicism, cable cable news. You know, essentially, you know, the, the talking head shows is nothing but outrage just just constant outrage one minute after another you would you would think that the only 
attitude that matters. The only emotion that matters is is outrage. That's all it is, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're just fed a, a steady, unending diet of it to, to the point where you would think from watching cable news that, that America's on the cusp of a race war, that we're on the edge of, of, of a sort of creeping fascist totalitarian regime of one sort or another. And I'm not just saying left wing or right wing here. I, I think everybody's doing it. I think everybody's got their conspiracy monger hats on. It's It's just something... That's just the tone that they strike. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily just blaming the media, you know, that, that everybody talks about all the time. There's clearly a diet for it out or an appetite for it out there. We want it. That sort of thing gets ratings, it gets clicks on the internet. So in some ways it's it's the public's appetite for that sort of thing which is driving it because it sells. But I, I, I think the world around us is a very different place. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the same as what you see through, through the Facebook lens or through the Twitter lens or through the MSNBC or Fox News lens or even, you know, the opinion page of your newspaper lens. I just don't think it's, that's the world we're living in. I think that those mediums that I just may, mentioned are often populated by people who have mo- more to gain from screaming at the opposition, right? And, and I mean, it's, it's really a lot of people who are just entertainers, right? They're not, they're not there to illuminate issues for you. They're not there to, to explore issues for you or to, or to help you better understand them, even if you disagree. And, and personally, I, I mean, listen, I understand. I'm part of this industry. I'm not setting myself apart, but I can tell you the way I go about my work, knowing that I can be controversial and, and knowing that I at times can resort to bomb throwing, but I, I do genuinely strive to bring a level of illumination to my work. I, I hope that agree with me or disagree with me when I'm done writing about a subject, when I'm done talking about a subject, that maybe you emerge from that that piece that I've written or that segment of the radio that you've listened to and, and you feel maybe you at least understand the issue a little bit better or, or you see a different perspective on it, even if you don't agree. That's what I strive for. That's that's what I work very hard towards. I think there's a lot of people in this business that don't do that. They're, they're essentially gladiators. They're there to do combat for your entertainment. That's That's what it is. They're just there to scream at the opposition because that's what will make you happy. Because we've reached a point where the opposition, it's not just a debate of competing and contrasting ideas anymore. Now we've reached a point where we are fighting a war and the other side is the enemy. They're not just wrong, they're evil. And I think you put all that together and it creates a different perception of the world around us. So, for instance... Uh, Hurricane Harvey, we see, uh, you know, the, the usual, I mean, usually right at the beginning, there'll be, you know, some, some unity and, and people will, will put a plug in the partisanship, but it doesn't take long. And pretty soon it's, it's the usual mouth breathers going on and on because President Trump didn't do this and didn't do that. And they're trying to score partisan points about that. Just like right wing commentators did the same thing to previous Democratic presidents like Barack Obama. That's just what they do. But and, and, and that's that's what's happening in the media version of reality, right? That's the prism that they see everything through is, you know, let's make it all about the president. Let's make it all about this. Meanwhile, out in the real world, there are first responders on the ground in Texas. There are local leaders on the ground in Texas. There are 
neighbors, just ordinary average citizens, brothers, sisters, husbands, aunts, mothers, grandfathers, whoever, out there helping one another. Out there doing what they can to get through this god-awful situation. That's reality. So I, I think maybe sometimes it's okay to take a step back. And these constant Facebook wars we're in, these constant Twitter wars we're in, all the screaming, shouting heads on cable television, maybe it's time to realize it's not reality. Reality is the world around you. The world, the, inter- the internet, I, I think maybe needs to go back, and, and not just the internet, but cable news and the media and everything, needs to go back to a place where we go for a little break from reality and not make it reality itself. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Email talk at WDAY.com. We're talking about, I, and I don't, I mean, this was the subject of my Sunday column, and I, I, I just kind of got off on a rant about it, but I I really do. I, I think that there is a, there is a sort of soap opera which takes place in the media, that which takes place on the Internet. We're all a part of it, right, because it's all interactive these days. So we're all on Facebook. We're all on Twitter. We're all participating. We're all weighing in. And uh, it's not reality. You know, I, I think it's 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 sort of a, a kabuki theater that, that everybody plays and everybody's virtue signaling and everybody's taking sides and everybody's making, you know, these sort of broad statements about everybody else. And it's it's and meanwhile, out in the real world, things are, are happening and it's not really that much like maybe what the real world looks like through the prism of the Internet. That's what I think. Am I right or wrong? Am, am I Am I missing the beat on this? I'd love to hear from you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. What do you think, Nolan? Am I, am I wrong? Am I, uh, am I getting this wrong? Well, I think you uh, hit on a pretty important point, at least in my agreement towards what you're saying, is people want to chime in or people want to get their two cents in. Um, and I think a lot of times we see that, obviously, on social media, and I think that often tends to kind of supersede the facts a little bit. Uh, and I think yeah. you, you see that when we were talking a little bit briefly at the end of yesterday's show about the, this Joel Olstein thing, about how he, everybody was on his back about not letting people into his church and what have you. And a lot of that backlash to begin with came from social media where people didn't necessarily have all of the facts mainly that his parts of his church were being flooded yeah. were, were victims of the flood. So I think, I don't know. I think, and it, it, it think about this. I mean, going back to the Joel Austin thing, think about the situation that that puts him in, right? Because, and I, I, I really hate it. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't even think that this is journalism when, when people do this, but it's like, we're going to pick up a story and the story is just that a lot of people on the internet are ticked off about something. Right. So it's like, Oh, a bunch of people are Facebook outraged about, you know, some store that did this or Joel Osteen's mega church uh, was perceived as is not being sufficiently charitable during the Hurricane Harvey thing. And, and I don't know. I mean, maybe there's there's legitimate grounds for criticism of Osteen. But, but the problem is, is you have some people on social media who made some assumptions about why the church wasn't open. That was fed in 
uh, too, by people who are, are predisposed not to like Austin all that much anyway, which, which frankly would be a crowd that includes me. I don't really like his model of doing business. Uh, and, and then by the time it reaches him, now he's on Good Morning America defending himself. Right. Like like he's just it's just well, there's all these people that say this. Were you sufficiently charitable? Should your church have been open like now he's in that position playing defense already instead of the other side saying, listen, prove why should his church have been open? How do you know what happened? I mean, I, I it's it's I, I don't like it. I, I don't like the way we go about it. And listen, don't get me wrong. I have no problem with people weighing in on the Internet, people weighing in with their two cents, with their opinions. I, I think the problem is. It's two things. A, people have a tendency to jump to conclusions about things they don't really know. And B, there is this propensity to want to shoehorn every situation into the never-ending debate over over politics, right? So, so all of a sudden, a hurricane happens, and now everybody's trying to to shove the hurricane narrative into their predisposed, you know, into their pre preconceived political notions, right? So, so now the hurricane is uh, an indication of climate change. Uh, now the hurricane is an indication of, uh, or that that criticism of, of government is is wrong or something, right? There was that political editor, politico editorial cartoon that was out there uh, that showed uh, the Coast Guard rescuing uh, like a bunch of, uh, I, I guess, neo Confederate Tea Party members or something, some caricature of of conservatives who are skeptical of the government. And the idea was supposed to be, oh, well, these guys uh, are critical of the government, but here the government is rescuing them. And maybe it's a lot more complicated than that. Maybe we should stop trying to shoehorn these things in, in, into political discussions. Let's see. we got Cliff on the line. Go ahead, Cliff. What's up? Yeah, Rob. I don't know. I think on the left it goes deeper than what you're saying. I mean, as long as you agree with the people on the left, they're the kindest, generous, most forgiving people on earth. But once you disagree with them, you're, you're, you're labeled a racist or a, or a communist or a, uh, 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 Islamophobe. Um, and as far as the, the media, I don't, I don't think, let's, let's not say that about everybody on the left, though, because I know plenty of people on the right who say nasty things about people on the left just because they disagree. I mean, that, I don't know that that's a phenomena isolated to the left. But all they got is racism, racism, racism. Automatically, you're labeled a racist. Now, I did not agree with Barack Obama's politics. I mean, I was called a racist by McFeely, by Heitkamp, by, you know, because I didn't agree with his policy. And the, 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 the media on the left are in bed with me. Just listen to the Schumers and Pelosi's of the world the second you disagree with them. And they start labeling you. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's fair to say, I mean, the, the, the problem the press has is there's just not a lot of ideological diversity in, in the press. I mean, you go to the newsrooms. And most people are, are left of center in their politics. And, and there's nothing wrong with being left of center in your politics. The problem is if, if that's the environment that you're working in, if you're working in a newsroom where everybody else kind of just has the same worldview you do, is it, is it any wonder that maybe the news coverage that newsroom produces is going to be a little bit myopic, a little bit one-sided? You know, I, I don't I, I think journalists are blind to this. I, I, th I think they think they have the ability to divorce their personal feelings from the coverage that they do. And they're wrong. They don't. Nobody can do that. We're all biased. We're all seeing the world through our own little windows. And that's that's it. So I, I do I do agree with you that that's an issue. But, uh, you know, the, the larger point is I, I think sometimes we treat 
what's going on on cable news. We treat what's going on on the Internet as reality, and, and it's not. Reality is reality. That other stuff isn't. All right, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk with Nan Swift of the National Taxpayers Union about Trump's tax proposals. What do you think? Love to hear from you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob, report on 970-WDAY AM 93.1 FM. You know, the we've it's it's been a lot of hurricane coverage, and and that's really dominated the the news cycle as as, as well it, it should. Uh, it's it's a tragic situation. It's a huge story, but President Trump did announce uh, some pr- some proposals for for tax reforms, and well, taxes are a pretty big deal because we all got to pay them. So. Any changes to that code is going to impact all of us. Here to discuss it with me is Nan Swift of the National Taxpayers Union. Nan, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. What exactly is it that Trump proposed? Well, what he proposed, um, we're going to find out later this month. What he's saying is he has a plan. It's going to be fairer flatter for everyone, and most of all, make us more competitive. He's anticipating a big rollout that we're all looking ahead to on September 25th. Well, what, I mean, those those, those ideas sound nice. I, I mean, making the tax code flatter. I, I mean, I, I think the problem a lot of people have is, is not, I, I mean, the one, one issue is obviously the amount of taxes we pay, and mm-hmm. I guess we can have a debate about that. But I, I think the other issue is, the cost in, in both time and and money it takes to comply with the tax code, right? And and the, and then the fear that that even if if you've made an honest good faith effort to comply with the tax code and pay your taxes, you may have messed up, and the IRS may come back at you and say, well, you messed up, and now you own fines and interest and all this other fun stuff. I, I mean, is is it is a look towards that sort of a simplification? That's right. That's a big part of it. It's one thing to say, you know, we need to cut rates, we need to be more competitive, but let's look at how individuals in real life outside of Washington have to deal with this cumbersome tax code. Um, A vast majority of Americans, 94%, have to pay someone or use special software to prepare their tax returns. There's a reason we all put this off until April 15th every year because it's an arduous task for small businesses. It's really costly. There's so many deductions and things to check off and considerations and what kind of income is this um, to to go through that for a small business this that's a big chunk of their income to comply with with what i i mean we, we are if, in, in your point of view i mean and obviously trump is at, at this point at this point what he's talking about i, I think is more philosophical and, and we're going to get i, I mm-hmm. guess the nitty-gritty of the policy later right but when, when it comes to the actual nitty-gritty, I mean, what are some of the things that, that you would like to see come out? Well, one thing we have to do is um, get rid of all the different credits and breaks. I know that there's someone who cares about each different piece of the code, but when you start you know, starting to pick winners and losers and using our tax code to do it, you add layer upon layer upon layer of complexity. In an ideal world, we think you should be able to fill out your taxes on a postcard. It'll take you five minutes. This is what I earned. 
oh, look at the schedule. This is how the percent that I pay, and be done. Um, of course, we might not get there right away where there's going to be compromises, but anything that puts us in that direction I think is going to be a big win for taxpayers. And when we see how much better it can get, you know, people will be hungry for more. They'll see, oh, this really can happen. This is achievable. This is what my life could be like if I wasn't worried about this for a whole quarter of the year. So you, you're, you're, you're saying those things, and, and obviously earlier in our conversation you mentioned, you know, real-world tax implications. Well, before we can, mm-hmm. you know, implement policy, we have to deal with real-world political implications. We have an extremely yeah. divided nation right now. We have a, a very polarized Congress. We have a president who is, is prone to making a lot of enemies for himself, frankly, mm-hmm. and I, I guess the question is, is how do you push through reform? Because what you're talking about is is basically making everybody mad. I mean, you, you are going to be pulling, you know, there's people out there who like the mortgage deduction. And there right. are people out there who like the credits for uh, renewable energy or whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's a thousand and one of these things that we could talk about. They all have little constituencies. If we start pulling those out, we're going to make everybody mad. How do you pass that sort of policy when you're out there making everybody mad? It seems impossible. Yeah, I'm not very popular on the Hill, as you can imagine. Um, it's a constant trade-off. I think, on the one hand, you know your values and your principles and the goal. And the goal is simplification. It's not right. It's unfair that the IRS has this much power over your life, that you pay this much to Washington, and it's doubly hard to do it. That's insult to injury. But at the same time, you know, you do have to deal with the real-life politics of it and consider, you know, where do we agree? Can we put the places we disagree aside, deal with them later, and go in knowing I have this plan, I'm not going to get all of it. I'm going to be flexible and work towards something that improves things for taxpayers, knowing that it's an ongoing task. That's why the National Taxpayers Union has been doing this for almost 50 years. <laughs> and we'll probably do it another 50 years. But each time, um, taxpayers get a little bit more. A big part of what was so great about the 1986 massive tax overhaul was how you know, people were able to put some of their special issues aside and work toward a greater goal. They didn't get everything they wanted, but everyone got something. And when it comes to simplification, this is something where there is bipartisan agreement. Everyone knows that something has to be done. We're not competitive, and it hurts people in their family budgets. What do you think? And by the way, if you want to join in, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. What about, what about the implications for the budget and the national debt? Because obviously – the government pays for the things that it does by collecting taxes, right? And and I'm a big right. I, I I believe that taxes should be low and simple. I'm a conservative. That's that's mm-hmm. just what I believe. I think that's what's best for us. I also think we ought to be paying our bills and, and that we ought yep. we should not be running up big deficits. What about the argument that if we cut taxes, we're just gonna make the deficit situation worse? Well, one thing that I think is important is that we go into this clear-eyed. A lot of people have argued in the past that, oh, actually, this will spur growth and bring more revenue in. That could be the case, but that's far from certain. The bottom line is we have a spending crisis, 
and they do need to be addressed together. They do need to be um, on the table. And without a doubt, regardless of what we do on taxes, we have to stop spending at the rate we're going. Um, but at the same time, even if we taxed, you know, everything 100%, the spending problem is so big that that wouldn't even make a dent. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. The problem is politically, I mean, again, not only are we talking about, you know, taking away everybody's favorite tax incentive, now you're also talking about taking away everybody's favorite spending program as well. I mean, that just seems well, an intractable again, problem. It takes time, and it's it's hard, but one thing that the National Taxpayers Union Foundation has done is we do a joint report every few years with U.S. The U.S. Public Interest Research Group. You can't get further to the left than them. But you know what we do? We sit down, we go through the budget, we go through the agencies, and we find billions of dollars that we can agree should be cut. It's true they all have an interest group, but if we can agree that these things should be cut, they should be on the table when Congress is looking for places to save money, either in the upcoming debt ceiling fight, the annual appropriations process, or to pay for these tax cuts. So next month, President Trump is going to start putting some meat on these bones, hopefully. And, and we're going to mm-hmm. start see, you know, getting some actual policy proposals. Can you tell my audience what sort of things they should be listening for to know that the president's on the right track? Hmm. That's a good one. I think, <laughs> I think that we should be watching for his actions. Uh, more so than his words, since he's a a man that speaks off the cuff. But Washington is a deliberative place. We need to get rid of, you know, these artificial do-this-now deadlines, because let's be honest, we're not going to make those. We're creating artificial crises. In the past, where tax reform has been successful, it's been a deliberative process over a number of years. So I think if he's at the table, if he's having conversations with people on the Hill, um, avoiding personal attacks, if everyone is responding as if other people are also people (laughs) um, with their own concerns and constituencies, then I think we'll see something serious happen. What what's I mean? Because you, you you just mentioned if this is a deliberative process, and and you know I I agree with you. I hope President Trump, uh, you know, agrees to that and doesn't draw some red line in the sand and and create this you know brinksman political brinksmanship that I, I don't think is conducive to good policy making. But suppose he takes the deliberative process. I mean, it conceivably. I mean, what's what's a time frame where, where Americans could start to see reforms show up in 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 their tax returns? Oh, that's a losing bet these days, Rob. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. It's not just, you know, the ball isn't only in the president's court. It's also, you know, there's a lot is writing on Congress, on the agencies that help write this, on the staff. And so far, to be blunt, Congress is really far behind the health care um, process was just a catastrophe for taxpayers. Um it was really bungled. The Senate still has a ton of nominations to do. So that's why I hope that we take the time now, while we don't have time on the floor anyway, to be prepared for when that opportunity comes through hearings, public discussions, um, all that good stuff, so that we have a really good product, and so that Americans know what's in the bill and that they have buy-in before this heads to the floor. 
So if they were to take that process, it'd be, you know, a vote next year. Well, Nan, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great one. That's Nan Swift from the National Taxpayers Union. I'm Rob Port. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report on 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000. You want to join in the last few minutes of the show, 888-970-9329. Earlier in the program, I was, I, it's the subject of my Sunday column. I hope, I hope you'll find it in print in uh, the forum, Grand Forks Herald, Jamestown Sun, Dickens and Press, some other papers. Um, and it's, it's essentially that I, I think what happens on cable news, I think what happens on Facebook, I, I think what happens in, in in a lot of of really this this industry that I work in, it's it's not reality. It's it's staged combat, and it's more about entertaining you. It's more about titillating you. It's more about outraging you than it is about informing you. Right? And and listen, don't get me wrong. I think debate can be illuminating. I enjoy talking with people I disagree with. I enjoy listening to people I disagree with. You know, both to challenge my own beliefs. Sometimes I learn something, I and I just like understanding where other people are coming from. We don't have enough of that going on in the world. Marion emails, Rob, I think part of our problems is all the lies that are said. I do a lot of research on my own. There are local radio hosts uh, that tell so many untruths, it's unbelievable. Then you go to the Internet and see even worse lies. Uh, so, the, so the facts, true facts, are very hard to come by. Uh, the social media and Twitter is the new trailer park trash with an opinion I have seen businesses destroyed over Twitter on complete lies, and by the time the public finds out, it's too late. Yeah, I, I think that's a I, – I, that last part, which she says, I think is definitely a problem, where people get outraged and, and you know, they get what they perceive to be poor service at, at a business, and now they're on Facebook or Twitter, and, and they're out to get vindictiveness. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing because a lot of times you'll see people, and, and I'll, I'll ask them. I mean, I'll see people on, on Facebook, Nolan – and they'll say, oh, well, I got this, you know, don't ever go to this business because I got, you know, terrible service there or something happened there. And I'll ask them, like, what well, did you talk to a manager? Did you talk to anybody in the business about resolving it? Or did you just come and express outrage to Facebook and try to form a vigilante posse to go after this business? Because that happens way too often. Yeah. And, and most of the time they're not talking to a manager. Like you said, they're just kind of stewing in their own anger and then they kind of right. head home and it gets even worse. And a lot of times they're not even right. Like, like a lot of times maybe they were asking something that was unreasonable to the business and the business refused to oblige them. Business has that right. You know, I mean, so I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult thing. And listen, I'm not saying that every debate is wrong. I mean, I, I, these communication mediums are wonderful in a lot of ways. And I do think that debate is good. I, I think even heated debate can be good. I, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about your beliefs. Uh, and you don't have to think the other side is right. You don't even have to particularly like them that much. I just think maybe we could stop carrying on so much like everything is is a crisis all the time because it's not. Get up and go outside. Turn off the TV every once in a while. Get off Facebook. Leave your smartphone behind. Go take a walk. Look at the world around you a little bit because it. I think in a lot of ways it does not line up with what you see on Facebook, with what you see on cable news, um, particularly because we're so often just working from anecdotes, right? 
um, you know, I, I, I think one particular thing that, that conservatives do a lot that, that is not very good is we see something happen at a college campus, right? Uh, maybe a conservative speaker tries to speak out and then a horde of left-wing agitators shows up and beats them up or, or destroys their, their booth or doesn't allow them to speak or screams at them or whatever. And, and yes, this does happen at college campuses and it's not good. But a lot of times conservatives have a tendency to paint every college campus in America with that brush, and it's not necessarily fair. All of academia is not a bunch of hidebound liberals because there are some in academia who are hidebound liberals who can't stand to hear an opposing viewpoint. Now, do is there a problem with ideological diversity on campus? Is there a problem with freedom of expression on campus? I think there is, but we need to be careful not to get carried away. The same with the left. Not everybody who opposes an affirmative action program, not everybody who is skeptical of a social program, is a cold-hearted, racist bigot. At some point, maybe you just need to acknowledge that other people of good faith disagree with you. Jay Thomas show coming up next. Speaking of people, no, I don't disagree with Jay all that much. Jay Thomas coming up next. Tune in for that. Remember, you can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll talk again.